Again, welcome to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. It's truly good to see everyone here tonight. Before I begin, I would like to ask the Lord's assistance to help us with our preaching and with, of course, our hearing. <clears throat> Holy Father, we come in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, asking that he be glorified and lifted up. We ask that the gospel be made clear, that your word be made clear. We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased. So we ask now that your word, which is precious in our sight, which is pure, it's been purified seven times, and we acknowledge, Lord, that everything you say, we shall live by it, by your grace. We pray, Lord, that you would deliver us from the flatterers, from those that boast. We ask, Lord, that your word would be sure, that one day all lies will be cut off, and that your word will last forever. We pray these things for the glory of our Christ and for his, uh, for his, for his cause and for our good. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I would like to read this psalm in its total right now. It's only eight verses long. And so let's try to see this in its context. That is, this is meant to be sung, by the way. So let's take a look. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. <clears throat> Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in, a, in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. <coughs> you, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Now this particular psalm has a very famous verse within it. The words of the Lord are pure, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. I've heard many messages preached from this particular verse about the value and the purity of the Word of God. Um, sometimes a gem such as this should still be studied within its own setting because God says this is the psalm. And so I prefer to teach the entire psalm and this verse in its context. I'm not saying that if you ever hear me preach a message about the Word of God and I use this verse, this is a very good verse. But I believe context is the key to what David is trying to tell us here and what the Lord is going to tell us through the Holy Spirit. <coughs> The doctrine I want you to take with you tonight is kind of not well-defined. <laughs> I have many points in it, so please bear with me on this. The words of the godly are filled with emptiness. The words of the wicked ultimately, one day, are designed to destroy God's people. The words of the Lord will prevail in saving us, though. So God will arise and protect the poor in spirit and those who groan under the oppression of the world. The Lord, 
through means of his word, will place us in a safe place where we long to be, and that is in Christ. Now, that's kind of a, an odd statement to make for this is the doctrine I have for you. And so basically, I'm going to need some water. Please, um, <clears throat> somebody can get that for me, please. Please. <clears throat> so the idea behind this is that the word of God is pure, but it's in contrast to the words of the world, in contrast to how the world is filled with flattery and boasters. Thank you. I always did this last time, didn't I? Apologize for that. So this is a Psalm of David. Now, like always, the Psalms are usually found in a context. And many times the commentators, the historians will want to say, I wonder where David was when he wrote this Psalm or what condition was he in when this was brought to his mind. So no doubt, I would say that this may have been because we cannot find it. I don't know where the circumstance was. All the commentators have different opinions. But I would say, I would have to guess that David was probably serving Saul at the time. And many people around Saul was obvious to them that Saul could be influenced by flatteries and by their own boastings. And so he is the type of man that would attract what I would call sycophants. Someone that would say, I think I can get what I want. All I have to do is flatter this guy a little bit. And then I can get what I need. So flatterers and boasters can improve their positions around men who like to be envied. And that's what happens when people hear flatteries. Oh, I'm getting flattered because they probably want something that I have. It kind of feels good to be flattered a little bit. And so David is now suffering under the circumstance that, <clears throat> that the world around him, the people, the ones in authority, the ones who have the, the power to, uh, to make policies, they're flattering Saul or flattering those in power rather than adhering to the word of God, rather than looking at the truth, rather than seeking after justice. So I have no doubt that Christians in all generations will find themselves in similar circumstances. And that is the world will see, where are all the Christians? It seems to me like we're just surrounded by those that uh, want to gain with their words. They're just becoming so skilled with their words. And the words are not very good words. <clears throat> so, to begin with, we'll go verse by verse as we normally do. This is designed to be given to the choir master, which implies that this is to be sung like we just did in a congregation, so that people can hear the message. A very easy to understand, only eight verses, I think the words in that song was very good. And so when we begin, we sing with the idea that there is a certain, I guess, a flow of this psalm where we start off with a woe. We start off with, oh, we can't find any Christians. They're all gone. And so there's a big woe at the very beginning. And then it turns into a place of hope where we say, the Lord's word is pure. That's where the hope begins. And then at the very end, he goes right back into the idea that, well, we're still surrounded by, the, uh, by wicked people and they still have their flatteries, but it ends with a woe that has a hope. And so that's where the psalm ends. To begin with, David begins with the words, Save, O Lord. Now, <clears throat> many times when we pray to the Lord, 
we have a certain need, we have a certain desire of the heart, and we ask the Lord, please don't let my pride interfere with what I'm asking. May what I truly desire put a smile on your face, and I want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes the need is just so great that you just say, save, please just save, O Lord. And so it starts off with a very simple plea. And there's nothing wrong with a simple plea to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with our prayers. Just saying, this is what I need right here in one word. It's powerful in its clarity. It's not convoluted. It's not complex. It just says, Lord, please save me from this. It is a very direct approach. A wonderful way to begin a prayer with God. Clarity, honesty, nothing as though you would flatter God himself to give what you want. Nothing as though yet you would approach in any kind of boasting, well, I'm one of your saints, and you're a good God, and so let's make this deal. No, a very clear, very simple and powerful approach in prayer. David starts then by giving his reasons. Save, O Lord. He is saying this, there's a number of people that are godly, but they are gone. They're diminishing. I, there's no one around me that is uh, fearing your name. No one honors your word around me. And David may be in that position like Elijah was when he found himself in a cave running from um, Jezebel saying, I'm all by myself here. I seem to be in the court of, you know, like, like David would say, I seem to be in the court of Saul alone. I'm just all by myself, just like Elijah. But remember what Paul said in Romans. Do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does God reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so, like David, like Elijah, we should also recognize it may seem like we're alone in this world, but we're not. God has provided us with other Christians, other churches, and God himself is going to be our, our support. <clears throat> Verse number two. Everyone utters lies to his neighbors. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Now the very idea that everyone utters lies to his neighbors, that is like, well, are you sure we're living in that time? Because, you know, my neighbor, they don't always lie. Well, this does not imply that Everything that a person says to his neighbor is going to be a lie. And neither does this imply that everything a person will say to his neighbor is designed to harm him. Now, this could be true, but it's not to say that it has to be true. But this phrase does say something like this. Lies are a way of life to this world. It fits very well in the way they navigate and the way they solve their problems. Lying is an accepted way of life. Lying, you just almost expect people to lie. It's like, well, I hear what you're saying, and in your mind you're thinking, but what is he really saying? Lying in our society, among our politicians, among our uh, schools, among all that we meet, we just expect people to not tell us the truth. Now, the problem is that no one ever condemns his lie unless he himself is damaged. It's as though, Boy, look at that. That's a sad thing. And we just smirk. The world seems to smirk at it. And only will a person be upset 
is if they are damaged. So everyone lives by the unspoken rule, oh, well, may the best liar win. We'll see. That is an odd thing for us to get used to. And it's a sad thing. And it's a thing that David says, please save us from this. The main idea centers around people not telling the truth. But it's worse than that because the original language implies that these lies are filled with empty things. They're not even talking about things that are important. They're talking about things that are temporary, the things of this life only, the riches of this world only. All the attention is toward this flesh, this life. Nothing is dedicated to what can last forever. Nothing is about the truth of God. Nothing is about the uh, saving of a sinful soul. Nothing is going to take you from here to there in the presence of God. It all centers around the temporary life. Everything about the lies, everything about the emptiness is designed to divert you from that which is important, to steal your time away from that which is eternal. And so the important things are pushed into the background. The worldliness and the world has their way of making sure that vanity takes the front seat. So <clears throat> let's go on and see what it says. Everyone utter lies to his neighbors. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. So we see that they speak with flattering lips and a double heart. Now, <clears throat> the idea of a flatterer, the idea is to, be, is to influence someone in such a way that you have a gain from it. These lies are designed to target someone and to tell them things that don't have to be true. Hopefully they're true because then the lies are easier. But if, if you cannot achieve your goal, well, then lies are the way to go. The truth and lies, that's, that's the problem with the world. The truth is convenient, then you don't have to remember your lies. But if it doesn't do what you want it to do, the lies are better. And so they're designed to gain influence over someone. It is the art of the sycophant. They always speak with a double heart. Now, this word actually means two hearts. They speak with two hearts. And it's interesting to see that Perhaps the Hebrew don't have they don't have a heart you know a word that really describes it, but I think it's easy for us to envision this. It is a heart, and many times we say it in our language like this: "That guy speaks out of both sides of his mouth." You've heard that phrase before, right? Or this guy is two-faced. This guy has two hearts about him. He has something that he knows inside, but he doesn't use with that. He uses something else. It's a face. It's like an actor. It is like what the hypocrite does. He speaks with a double heart. That is a real problem. The hypocrites hides their true thoughts and intentions to manipulate the one that they're flattering. Verse number three. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that makes great boasts. Now, this is where I prefer the King James because it really doesn't say, may the Lord, because this sounds more like a request. This sounds more like a petition to God. Oh, may this happen. But the words actually says, the Lord is going to cut off flattering lips and the tongue that makes great boasts. This reminds me very much of Deuteronomy chapter 29, where Jonathan Edwards wrote his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he says, their foot shall slide in due time. They have a destiny. They have a place where their foot will fall. They will fall. The time is appointed and they will be cut off and they will be judged. So the Lord has a plan for those who live by lies, to those who have their lifestyle surrounded by 
You know what my power is? My power is that I can just speak and make it happen. I can talk my way in, I can talk my way out. It's my strength. It's, I'm just a people person, you know. I'm able to go up and make anyone believe me what I say, and so on. And so the Lord says that they shall be cut off. And like it says in Deuteronomy chapter 29, they shall not have an enemy after they've been cut off. The cutting off is a permanent thing. But today is the day of salvation, isn't it? Now is the time for those who live by lies to repent, to see the truth and the value of integrity, to take this on, to live a life that's honoring to God, to live morally before his sight. Now is the time of salvation. This includes the tongue that boasts. Now it's interesting that we see the flattering lips and the boasting tongue. There's a slight difference in that because the flatterer targets someone else, but the boaster targets himself. But they're both flatteries. People flatter themselves by bragging about who they are. And if they're even weaker of character, they may even begin to believe the flatteries they tell themselves. They may even believe the boasting they talk and building themselves up. But boasting and flattering, almost the same, except flattering is to doing it to someone else, Boasting is that you're doing it yourself to be heard by the one you're flattering. So, they will be cut off. The Lord will cut off all liars. Verse number four. <clears throat> Those who say, with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Now, here is a description of a skillful liar. You know, it, it's almost done by... You know, their own acknowledgement. They say, the power of our words will get us what we desire. And that's an amazing thing. It's really, I've seen it even in churches. And I won't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But I see it among people at work. I see it among people in politics. You see it everywhere. They declare their truth. Let me tell you my truth. And when someone says, well, why don't you just tell me the truth? And someone says, are you going to deny that I have a truth? No. It's easy for people to claim, you have a truth, I have a truth, they have a truth, we all have a truth. And therefore, for me to deny your truth, oh, I don't want that because, you know, I need to protect my truth. If the truth is not the truth, then it just isn't true. It doesn't matter. You, 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 don't, you don't get to own a certain brand of truth. But I understand many times it's more like this. Tell me your experience. Tell me how you have experienced this. And I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of somebody saying, saying let me tell you what my life has been. But don't flatter everyone by saying, I have a truth. And my truth is as good as anybody else's truth. No, there's only one truth. It also, a truth that cannot be denied. If someone says, I have a truth, they have a different truth. But for you to deny that truth, oh my goodness, I have power with my words to put you out of the question, or shall we say, we'd say today, cancel you. Many people have the power of their words to just simply say, that person should not be heard anymore. That person perhaps should not be accepted anymore. Perhaps we should reject that person because my words say so, because I don't like their words. They have not accepted my truth, and so I'll make sure that their truth is never seen. 
they will be rejected. Perhaps they won't even be employed anymore. Perhaps they will be despised. Or if I like them and they say I have a truth, I'll accept their truth and they will be respected. You see the power of words, the power of the world. They have no real substance. It has no real empirical value. They create the value with lies, with flatteries, and with boastings. I, um, <clears throat> you know that I'm an IT person, and I have my, my humor is partial to a cartoonist by the name of Scott Adams. You know, he's the guy that writes those little Dilbert cartoons. Well, many times I'll have a copy of that on my wall by my desk when, you know, I find this little situation that, that sounds like what I've done. I remember one cartoon I cut out and one of the employees is telling the manager, I've written scripts to keep all of our servers from crashing. And the manager says, I find that suspiciously hard to believe. And I see any other manager, any other guy says, so let's, let's sum up what we've got here. You are a manager that's inadequate in evaluating what I've done. And so he goes on like this, and it's really quite clever, it's funny. However, this man, Scott Adams, was interviewed and he said some things that were not acceptable in the sight and in the hearing of some people. He got pulled off of every newspaper in this country. Did you know that? He used to have a Dilbert cartoon in every, almost every newspaper. Well, he said something that was considered wrong. And that guy got canceled, completely gone. Well, it's, I don't know what else to say about that, other than, well, he had his truth, but evidently it wasn't truth enough. And words came out of nowhere and did him damage. The words and the power that the world has is an amazing thing. Uh, my wife one day found a book at a yard sale, I believe it was. She brought it home, it was by Scott Adams. The name of that book was The Way of the Weasel. Isn't that an interesting title? The Way of the Weasel. Now, my, you know, whenever I bring a book home from a yard sale, I may or may not read it. I've got lots of books I haven't read. But this one, I, I did read. He had, in the very first few chapters, a list of what he called weasel words. Weasel words. So that when you open your email and you see one of these words, they say this, but they mean that. They say that, but they mean this. We're, they're weasel words. Well, the whole world has a lot of these type of weasel words. They have a way of speaking from this side of the mouth, but they really mean something else. This is something that the world says, with our tongues, we will prevail. With our, because our lips are with us. You know what that phrase means? We are in control of our own lips. We are the ones who have this ability to make or break or to destroy or build you. If I don't like you, my words can hurt you. That's a lot of power. They go on to say, our words will, will, are, are, are us. Now, who is master over us? Well, <clears throat> when I was reading Spurgeon, Spurgeon said something like this. No doubt the devil said in a very small whisper where they couldn't hear, I am your master. Now, I have a suspicion that many times where people see the power that they have by merely speaking, 
That doesn't have to be true. They just, they, they see what they can do with words. And then they may say, I know I'm really good at this. Who is my master? Well, the truth is the devil is. Now, this sounds a lot like that. You know, it's really, I believe in this case, the world is asking a rhetorical question. They're not really wanting to know who their master is. But it sounds a lot like what Pharaoh said. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And so many times we have the rhetorical answer. We obey ourselves, our own words. Let's go on to verse number five. <clears throat> now that completes the woe part of the song. Okay, remember I said we begin with a woe and then we'll get into the hope and then at the end we'll get back into the woe. And so now we begin the hope. Verse number five. <clears throat> because the poor are plundered and because the needy groan, I will now arise, said the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. This is a very wonderful phrase. I will now arise, says the Lord. For one thing, we can see that when these words are spoken and they do damage and the wicked say, my lips are mine, I am in control, this is my weapon. But the Lord has taken notice. The Lord has seen. He knows what's going on. He is going to take action. And he is going to defend his children. He says, I am going to arise. Now, you know, you've been there perhaps with grazing children. And you're sitting. And your children are misbehaving. And you're saying, don't make me get up. Don't make me come over there. But the Lord has heard the words of the wicked. And he says, it's too late. I'm getting up. I am going to arise. I'm coming to fix this. Why? Because the poor have been plundered and because the needy groan. Hmm. The idea of the poor in this framework, I believe, goes directly toward those who are poor in spirit, to those who have a need because the world says, I can cover up my need and I can create my own wealth with the words that I speak. The power that I have comes from the way I can say things and the way I can damage things, the way I can help my friends, hurt my enemies. I can use any type of slander, any type of um, power against them. But there are those who love integrity, those who will not lie, and they become victim to those who can. And I believe that there is a, an interesting flaw with shall we say, the villains of this world. The, the world sees Christians at a grave disadvantage because they cannot lie. I, I told you this before about myself when I was a very small boy. I told my mother one time, I was singing that song, um, Jesus Loves Me, and the words go, they are weak, but he is strong. And I always sang, they are strong, but he is weak. And she would correct me. And I said, well, no, 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 he's weak. They crucified him. And she would correct me on that. But you see, <clears throat> when the world says they are weak, they need to understand that just because they are poor 
doesn't mean that they don't have a father that watches out of them. We are poor in spirit because we know that we are also liars like them, but we want to not lie. We have the spirit with God within us convicting us. And where is our poverty? Well, the only way to solve that poor and needy and poverty-stricken soul is to be in Christ, is to have been given the righteousness of Christ. And when the world oppresses the poor, when the world oppresses the needy, God says, I'm going to get up and I'm going to arise and I'm going to put them in that safe place, that place where they long to be. And that is in Christ, clothed in his righteousness, in the truth of God's word. This is where he's talking about. The Lord will hear the cries of those who suffer from their harsh slave masters also. The Lord will be that one that will help those who are plundered by the false gods in this world. Those who groan under the weight of sin plundered by the lies of self-righteousness. The Lord is going to be on our side. Now, let's go on and take a look at the next verse. This is why, and this is what the Lord's going to do when he rises. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. God will arise and address the, the, the situation. And what is the situation? We have powerful words of the wicked, words that flatter and words that boast. And what is in contrast to that? The words of God. Now you may say, well, why doesn't God just smack them around and kill them? That's not the way he helps us. That's not the way he helps the poor and the needy, those that groan under these lies and under these flatteries. The way he helps them is to give them the pure words, his words. The words of the Lord are pure words. That's what the solution is to the false words, to the flattering words, to the boasting words. They're like silver refined in a furnace. Now, I've seen these videos on YouTube where they, you know, they, they like to make jewelry and things of that, and they get these little ceramic crucibles, and they put in uh, pieces of jewelry or pieces of silver, you know, coins, perhaps the old coins, and they would just superheat that, and the metal just melts right down, and the dross comes right up to the top. They just skim it off. It's an amazing thing to see. The silver is real bright and shiny. It's nice to watch. I would imagine that if you had a real, the, the equipment, and you could do this seven times and superheat it, that silver would get really fine. And it's a beautiful thing, too. Silver is a really nice metal. It is an illustration that God, and it is a metaphor that God has used, that his words are pure. There is no trash in it. There is no impurities in it. You can look for yourself. Examine God's words. Compare them to the words of the world. Can you imagine the Lord not having pure words? Is that even imaginable in our hearts and mind? Can you imagine the Lord trying to defeat the wicked by flattering them? Can you imagine the Lord trying to defeat the wicked by boasting about how good he is or how great he is? No, the Lord doesn't play those games. The Lord is not like the world. Can you imagine the Lord trying to impress the wicked in order to gain their support? But that's what flattering words do. That's what boasting is all about. The Lord is not like that. His words are pure. If he says something, we can depend upon it. 
If he says something, we can take safety in it. If he says something, then that is going to be our safe place. And so the comparison is this. The words of the Lord are compared to the wicked. The words of the, latter, of the flatterers and the boasters are going to be cut off, but the words of the Lord shall endure forever. The text has been preached many times that this is why the scriptures are so reliable. And it is true. It is very true. Now, I may one day pick this verse out of this and talk about how reliable the scripture is, but you can see there's a gain that we have in taking in its context of preaching it the way it is, because the words of the Lord are like purified silver. They are truly beautiful. They are truly valuable. Their pureness goes beyond the comparison of any type of purity. So <clears throat> we can see that there is no impurity in it. The one who has ever depended upon the words of God and their purity and their effectiveness, I guarantee they will never be disappointed. You cannot. You just think about how many times the world has disappointed you, how many times people have disappointed you, how many times the words that they said have disappointed you. False words, flattering words, boasting words. Many times you see an advertisement, come on in, we'll do this. And you take it in there, and boy, it doesn't happen. I remember one time I was supposed to get a free boat. So the guy looks in his drawer, he pulls it out, oh, here's your boat. You know, I said, hmm, how disappointing that is. You know, and so it happens that way. I want you to think about this. The Lord has promised to give me eternal life. Oh, I'm so disappointed. Why would you be disappointed in that? Believing in the Lord and believing these truths, the, through, the, the promises of God are so great. How can anyone be disappointed? The Lord has promised every curse will turn into a blessing. Oh, I'm so disappointed. Why? Why would anyone be disappointed at such great blessings? The Lord has promised that he will be with me and no one can defeat him. Oh, I'm so disappointed. No. How many times will the world disappoint you? Endlessly. Endlessly. But not once will the Lord ever disappoint you. Not in his word. Not in the truth. Not in his promises. The words of the Lord are faithful and true. They are purified seven times. Let God be proven true and every man a liar every single time. God's word is the foundation of our faith. God will never lie. Verse number seven. You, O Lord, will keep them and you will guard us from this generation forever. Now, this is the beginning of the hope again. Okay? This is the hope. We have the Lord saying, these are the words of the Lord. I will protect the poor. I will protect the needy. And you, O Lord, will keep them, the poor and the needy. You will guard them from every generation forever. You, O Lord, will protect them. <clears throat> Psalm 8, the very last verse. See how we shift gears here and go back right into the woe. On every side, the wicked prowl. What a word. The wicked prowl. As violence is exalted among the children of men. Now what we have here, we start off with David saying, Look at the wicked. I'm surrounded. Their words are flattering. They're just everywhere. But the words of God are pure. 
but I'm still surrounded by all this wickedness on every single side. Let's look at it this way. We know about God's words now. We know that his words are pure above all things. And how do we know this? Because God said that he would arise, that he would put us in Christ. How do we know this? Because he has said so. He's told us in his word. So let's go down to the practical applications. I have but only one. Let us review what is said. It's easy to grasp. We have the words of the wicked on one hand, and we have the words of the Lord on the other hand. The words of the, of the wicked. They lie, they flatter, they deceive, they boast. The words of the Lord. They are pure, they are sure. They give hope to us, to the poor, and those that groan. We find something very interesting in how this psalm ends. The circumstance of the psalmist did not change. Did you notice that? He started with woe, he ended in woe. However, he not is only in this dreadful situation, but the psalmist has changed. He has said, I am in the same circumstance, but now I have the word of God. I can live among these lying flatterers because I know that the word of God is sure and that I have it with me. And he has promised me. He has promised me. His words are truly powerful. The world may think their words are powerful, but they're temporary. The word of the Lord lasts forever. It endures forever. And God is risen. He will rise up and protect his poor people, his needy people. His people will be protected. And the word says so. Though the world may surround us with liars, with flatterers, the word of the Lord endures forever. We can do this. We can live through this. We can endure this. It doesn't matter because their words are filled with emptiness. They talk about things that are temporary. So in conclusion, the words of the ungodly are filled with vanity, with emptiness. Their most important things are nothing. They are filled with flattery and prideful boasting. Their words are their strength. And that is nothing. It's hot air. The world wants the Christian to depend upon their own words. And this is where this type of debauchery, no, no, that's the wrong word, this type of failing can get into the church. Many times the church wants to emulate the world and say, they seem so happy. We need more self-affirmation. We need more word of faith type of things where our words actually have power, where I can create wealth by claiming it. Remember I told you about a man I worked with? And he said, um, you, if you verbalize something, it happens. And he would say, always say positive things. And of course, you know me. I come in, the first thing I say, oh, I hope the servers don't crash. And he would have to say three things to counteract that. Those words to have no power. There's no magic in those words. What makes words powerful is whether they're true or not. And the purity of God's word, the truthfulness of it, the stability of it. These are the words that will prevail. The word of the Lord will reveal Christ to us. The word of the Lord will always be true. They are preserved in heaven forever and they're purified seven times. God will arise and protect us. He will protect the poor in spirit. He will protect those who are under the weight of sin. And that's what this means. The Lord will put us in that safe place where he longs to be. We need to long to be 
in Christ. And I guarantee, and you will not be disappointed, that God will put you in Christ. And you will have that same safety that the Lord has. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we now thank you for your word, how it is precious, and how it has been preserved, and how it is pure. We thank you that your word is powerful. We thank you that we are now placed in Christ, a safe place. And we look forward to the day when the power of lies will be done away with. There will be no liar in the new heaven and new earth. There'll be no one that will use flattery to get what they want. There'll be no one that will flatter themselves by boasting to get what they want. But all eyes will seek to you because you have the words of life. You have the words of truth. We thank you, Lord, for your great truth in this world, the means of grace, the means of knowing that we should live by your word as though our body lives by bread. We will live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Mm -hmm. We thank you for this, Lord, in our Lord's name. Amen.